You sound good? Yeah. Very good. I sound Yeah. Awesome. Good morning or good evening. I make the same mistake every time. Good evening, church. Good evening. My name is Kenny Zuchuku. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Birmingham Church of Christ. For those of you who are visiting, we're so grateful to have you. Uh, I have a couple things to announce before I get into the sermon. Apparently, it was Curtis' birthday this weekend. Is that right? Curtis, we're not going to sing for you, but can you stand up so I can at least acknowledge you? Maybe next year I can get an invite. That would be cool. I'd appreciate that. But I'm sure it was a great time. I'm sure you had fun. Um, guys, let's give Miles a round of applause for the testimony. It's very, very difficult as a teenager, let alone any other age, to come up and share about your life in a vulnerable way. For anyone who's done that, you understand. It's, it's hard enough doing it one-on-one. It's even harder doing it with all these people here. Miles, you did a great job. Um, Represented the team ministry very, very well. So thankful for what you shared. Awesome. So, we are going to continue our series on Luke. And we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke uh, pretty much this entire year and going through it passage and passage by passage and really understanding what the author of Luke was trying to communicate to us. And today, we've landed on the parable of the soils, which is more commonly known as the parable of the sower. The reason I named it parable of the soils is because this parable has nothing to do with the sower. It has nothing to do with the seeds. It's all about the soil. And we'll see that as we go through it. But before we get there, this is a very important statement. Can everyone say this with me? I don't understand. Ready? I don't understand. Say it again. I don't understand. Okay, so I need some audience participation right now. I am going to communicate series of events that may or may not have happened to me in this past week. And at the end, I'm going to point to you, and what you're going you're to say, okay, we've got to do it, watch my hands, maybe, I don't understand, okay? So I will start with the first one. This may or may not have happened to me. So I was playing football, and I had a friend who scores a goal in the first minute of play. We all cheer, he runs, we run out together, but he runs towards the goal, grabs the football, and praises it like this. Then he puts it on the ground, he gets on his knees, he grabs a knife out of his pocket, and he stabs the football, deflating it, so he can't play anymore. So I look at him, and he looks back at me. I look at him, and then he looks back at me again. And then I said, I don't Okay, next scenario. He's taking a shower, or maybe I, maybe I wasn't taking a shower. And typically it's hot. 
I like to take hot showers. So the shower is, is coming out and then all of a sudden it turns cold and I start freezing and I jump and I screech and I get uncomfortable. And then I look up and I said, I don't understand. Great, great, great. So I come to service on Sunday and there's this guy, his name is Kenny. And then he shows a slide of a monkey scratching his head named Chip. And in that slide, he asked people to say, I don't understand, because I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet. You guys got to watch the hand signals. Because he is going to communicate a message in which many people do not understand. But I didn't know this, so while I was sitting in my seat, I was thinking, Awesome, awesome. And if we can key in on this phrase, you will understand this parable. You will understand what I'm going to try and communicate to you today. I may not be successful, but I at least got to try. And the title of my lesson today is Hearing is Not Understanding. Hearing is Not Understanding. And it's amazing. Let me set this up. It's amazing because in school, I know many of us are in school, I had a horrible time listening to teachers. Let me explain. So I would hear what they were saying, and I was really good at taking a lot of notes. However, 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 I didn't really understand what they were trying to communicate. And I remember going home and getting to a point where I could pretty much do all the work by myself without any explanation. I could just read the book and I got it. But I got to a point in secondary school where it was just too hard. And I was doing math, Americans pronounced the T and the H. And I got to Algebra 2, and I felt like I couldn't do this by myself anymore. So my parents hired a tutor. I got a tutor, and she came, and she was really helpful. I I will never forget the first interaction we had. She opened up the notebook, and she's like, where are your notes? I said, here they are. I showed her my great notes, and I told her, I just can't understand how to solve these problems. So she looked at the problem set. And she said, well, let me look at your notes. She looks at my notes for one minute, and then she answers the problem sets in literally 15 seconds from looking at my notes. And I ask her, how did you do that? And she says, because your notes tell you exactly how to solve these problems. So I asked her, then why can I get it? Because she said, you've been memorizing for most of your life, and you haven't really learned or understood what you were doing. If you really want to get this, you need to go and talk to your teachers and professors. And that's something I hated to do. I was very intimidated by my teachers and professors growing up. I didn't want to go to them because I thought they were bigger and greater than me. They were intimidated. They were these 40 and 50 year old people that just didn't get me. And that's how I viewed them. But I realized that if I wanted to get deeper, if I wanted to grow taller or better, I needed to communicate with the person teaching me. 
I needed to go directly to the source. I needed to understand. So when we think about this title, this sermon title, we have to really think, are we getting deeper? Are we understanding? And I saw, I like videos, as you guys know. So there's a video here that reminds me of uh, how I felt uh, when I'm not understanding stuff. Please tell me you speak English. I'm Detective Carter. Do you speak any English? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? (laughs) It's amazing because when we watch that, first you might think that's how Americans speak. That's not true. Secondly, we have to understand that when Jesus tried to communicate his gospel, he told people plainly what to be heard and what to understand. But for some reason, people did not understand. Do you understand what's coming out of my mouth? Because if you did, you'd respond. And that is what we're going to look at today. Let's turn over our Bibles to Luke 8. And we'll go from 1 to 3. Luke 8, and we'll read from 1 to 3. Okay, it reads, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping support out of their own means. So let's get some background information here. So we've got Jesus traveling from town to town. And he gets to the point where he's about to speak about the parable of the soap. He's about to communicate his message to help people understand. But before, there's a couple details that we must pay attention to. First, the twelve were with him. Now, we know the twelve as the twelve apostles, right? The twelve were with him. And this is important because he toured Galilee before, and the twelve had not been created yet. Now, on his second tour of Galilee, which is the area that he's going around, the twelve are with him. And very soon after this, he's going to send these twelve people out to proclaim the good news on their own. So this is a really good training opportunity for the twelve. And around this time, there is this king, the tetrarch named Herod, Antipas. And he was known for his corruption. His father tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. So this guy was a bad, bad dude. And Herod, Joanna, it says here, or Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Cusa 
was Herod's guardian. Cusa was the guy that watched Herod's treasures. He was really, really important. And Joanna, the disciple, was there helping Jesus. Just think about that for a second. Imagine what they would talk about when they'd go home. They'd say, hey, how was work today, honey? Well, I killed John the Baptist. I cheated a bunch of people out of their money. And I don't really care about what any of these disciples do. Great. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk about me for a minute. It would be a weird conversation to have. Also, these women were helping support them out of their own means. And I looked up the word for helping to support. And it's diakoneo. Can we all say that together? Diakoneo. Which is where the root for minister comes from. And if we think about what ministering means, all it is is serving, helping support, and giving to people. That's what a minister is. So theoretically, everyone is a minister, or can be a minister if you choose to. It's not just what I say on Sundays or who's on speaking on stage. You've got to think, who are you ministering to? When was the last time you ministered to Jesus? And this is a weird question. How can you minister to Jesus? Well, let me ask a different way. How can you serve Jesus? How can you give back to Jesus? We gotta redefine some terms. I'm getting kind of technical here. It's getting very exciting, but we gotta move on. Do you understand what it takes to minister? Do you understand? If not, it's okay. Hopefully, this will help. Let's keep reading. Luke 8, and we'll go from verse 4. To seven. It reads While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Okay, watch it. This is it. Make sure you understand here. I'm about to read it. A farmer went up to sow a seed. He was scattering the seed as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. We'll take a break right there. So you have these large crowds gathering to hear this guy speak. And he comes and he tells them a very simple passage for their time. Remember, this is back in the first century. Farmers were the majority. They knew about farming. Uh, here's a quick video. This is my friend came in. We were in Italy a few weeks ago. And this is at uh, St. Mark's Square, which is in Venice, Venezia. So here he is. Whoa, that's legit, man. He's got pigeons on him, which is dirty. Wait for them to fly, man. And boom. Okay. So he gets to the point where he's looking at his hand. Now, this is good for those who like details. So what do you think he's looking at? Anyone know? Bird poop. Wow. 
Uh, I hope not. Let's zoom in here. Now, what do you think you might be looking at? There's a hint there. Oh, nope, nope. Let's get even closer. I'll just give it to you guys. Boom. What do you think those are? Seeds. Exactly. Those are seeds that the people around were handing us so that the birds can come and eat from our hands. Which is why they were coming on his body, because they were ready to eat the seeds. Amazing, right? But even in today's time, it's not uncommon for us to understand that birds eat seeds. Thanks, Jesus. Didn't need to know that information. Here's a rose, and this is the timeline of a rose withering. Now, if you've ever seen a plant die before, it's quite sad. I was going to add some sad music, but there's no need, because it's already sad by just looking at it. So it starts nice and red, and as you can see, slowly it shrivels up, and then it gets to a point where you don't even want to look at it anymore. You don't want to take a look. It's pretty much black and gone. So we know that, right? It's not uncommon for plants to wither when they don't have any moisture. It's very obvious. We know this. You guys are all smart people here, right? Choking. Now the last one, the thorns come up. I don't like this show, by the way. I just want to make that clear. I don't. But, but this is what I remember a lot from what people told me and from advertisements and things. It's just Homer choking heart. And the idea of when you choke something, you're suffocating it. There's no air. There's no way that the, the thinking can inhale oxygen and keep living. So when he talks about the thorns, the seed on the thorns, it's not uncommon. We know that. It's a very simple gardening story. So that's what you guys probably feel right now. Why did I waste your time building that up? What am I going to say next? And I think it's important, because as we look at verse 8, to remember who Jesus is and how great of a teacher he is. Because he always slips something in a parable to give you an insight that only those who really want to know will go after. But, if you don't hear, if you don't care, if you have no desire, you might miss it. Let's read verse 8. It says, Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was so, did you guys catch that? Anyone getting excited? It doesn't look like anyone's getting excited. Did you hear a hundred times more than what was sown? Now, in today's time, that's not a big deal because we have chemicals that can do that. But back then, that was a very, very big deal. It was unheard of. And the best way I can describe it is, who likes potatoes here? Who likes potatoes? I like sweet potatoes. No? Leah, you don't like potatoes? That's okay. That's fine. I saw your face. It was disgusting. But I love potatoes. So I put a little math equation. Remember, I passed algebra. I had a tutor. We already talked about this. So I put a little equation on here. So remember, a normal soil. Normal soil. Five pounds of seed. I looked this up. Times 10 equals 50 pounds of potato. So if you were to plant 5 pounds of seed, it would yield 50 pounds of potatoes. Is that clear? And I don't even want to get into how potatoes are planted. It's really unique. Just watch a YouTube video. 
good soil. Now, this is the soil Jesus talks about, right? The soil that he waits to the very end to communicate. And in the good soil, if you plant five pounds of seed, the same amount as normal soil, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not losing anyone. I hope I'm not losing anyone. Kids, I'm, I'm, this is clear, right? It would yield... Nope, it should it, it will yield 500 pounds of potatoes. What? Nope. Five times 100 is 500. It's 5,000. Yes, so you're right about that equation, yes. But on the, on the slides, if you were to plant five pounds of seeds into the ground with Jesus' good soil, it would yield 500 pounds of potato. Which is why I put 100 and underlined it right there. I'm smiling for comic relief right now. So, typical responses to that. Typical responses. So imagine if you're in the time, what you'd be feeling and thinking when Jesus says this. One obvious response is confused. Right? Some people are like, I can't count. What? Just, I can't count. I don't get it. That makes no sense. Do I need to stop wasting seeds or something? That could be one response. Another one would be impossible. The impossible response. Inconceivable! The response that says, that's absurd. There's nothing in the world that could do that. That's another reasonable response. And the last reasonable, there's many others, but the one that I had time to come up with, was the get money response. The get money response. Mm, mm, get money. Mm, mm, get money. Jesus, we can be rich. Why? Because if you give me that soil or let me know where that land is, I will plant there, I will sell, and I'm going to make lots of money. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. You're the man. Right? Those are three very obvious responses for that parable. But here's what's interesting. Who do you think responded? They're the crowds of people, right? Let's keep reading. Luke 8. Verse 8 to 9. It said, Still other seed fell on the good, on the good soil, it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him Hair, which is everyone. Unless you don't have an ear, then you don't qualify. Verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Wow. The disciples asked him. The people that he'd already been working with. And it wasn't just the twelve, right? There's a, you have to make, the disciples weren't just the twelve. He had many disciples. He sends out the twelve first in Luke 9, and later he sends out how many? Anyone know? Seventy-two, right? So it wasn't just the twelve. There are a lot more than just the twelve, but still, there are crowds of people. There are crowds of people there. 
coming to hear this guy speak, and he tells this very simple parable, and they know it has meaning. But only a few asked them what was going on. Maybe they came for the miracles. Maybe they came to see him heal the sick. Maybe they came to see him do the amazing things that he was known to do, what they've heard. But they definitely weren't there to seek understanding. It's clear that they weren't there to get deeper. And it's amazing because response is dependent on a desire to understand. Response is dependent on a desire to understand. People want to see Jesus, but did not seek Him, seek to know Him. They wanted to hear Him, but they did not want to understand Him. How much do you desire to understand Jesus right now? I'll give you some time to think about this, because I know when preachers ask questions, they kind of move on quickly, and then you don't have time to think. How much do you desire to understand Jesus? Let's, let's rank it, scale of 1 to 10. 1 being not at all, 10 being a lot. How much do you desire to understand Jesus? You. This parable should almost certainly trigger a response from those who want more understanding. Let's keep reading. Luke 8, verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others... I speak in parables, so that those seeing, they may not see. This is getting interesting here. Don't don't lose don't 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 lose it, guys. Don't lose it. Though hearing, they may not understand. Okay, so this is kind of confusing. It sounds like Jesus is being a little tricky here. The words he's saying aren't typical Jesus words that you would normally hear growing up in a Christian environment. So I did some research, and I realized that he quoted this from Isaiah, Isaiah, right? Isaiah. Say it the American way. Say it the American way. Isaiah. And I realized that Isaiah was here, not here, here, but he was in his time teaching to people that did not want to understand. So this is what Jesus, this is what God told him. Let's read. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? He's referring to preaching the gospel in this unbelieving generation. And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Which is an interesting response. He's basically saying, you're going to go and preach to people that won't listen to you. So Isaiah's like, sign me up for the Christian Jubilee, right? That's how he responds. That's weird, guys. Not sure if I would respond that way. And then he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, 
make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Wow, that sounds pretty intense, but I'm not even done yet. Then I said, for how long, Lord Isaiah, such a good heart, for how long, how, I don't want to do this, it's going to be hurt, it's going to hurt me to see people not get it, because they just don't care. And the Lord answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Make no mistake. There are people back then and there are people now that do not care about understanding God. This will never change. And as Christians, disciples, that can sound daunting. That can seem discouraging. But here's what's amazing about what he communicated to Isaiah. He says, go and preach to the point where they don't even want to listen anymore. <laughs> He's not saying turn them off to Christianity or to God. He's saying, go get, do your best to get them engaged to the point where they're so annoyed that the ones that really don't want it, they won't even listen. There's nothing you can do. And later on in the scripture, it says there's a tenth, a remnant of Israel, people that desire and want to be there. And they will respond. But we need farmers to go out and scatter some seeds. Who will respond like Isaiah did? Who? You? Me? I'm going to try. Until I die, I'm going to try. But will you respond this way? Or will the idea of people not really wanting to know God, discourage you from sharing about God. You've got to ask that to yourself. Jesus told parables, oh, I got let's type on that. Jesus told a parables too, not right. Number one, make spiritual truth clearer for those who decided to understand the gospel. Using different analogies, not an analogy, using different stories to communicate God's word in a simple way, to make it clearer, make it easier, make it more digestible. Children inherit the kingdom of God. Children can understand these stories. They're not difficult. Second reason, to obscure the truth from those who decided not to understand the gospel. Remember, the decision is on the person, therefore the judgment is based on what that person decides. God wants everyone to be with Him in heaven. But we decide otherwise. It's up to us. Let's keep going. Wow, that was intense. I'm sweating a little bit here. Whew. Okay, so we haven't even explained the parable yet. I just gave you guys some background information. So this is where he goes to explain the parable. And I won't get through all of it. Forrest will pick up in a few weeks on this. So I'll just focus on the first type of soil. Does that sound good? Yeah. You guys okay with that? Yeah. Are you, are you, 
I don't understand. No, I'm just kidding. You guys do understand. I hope. I hope you do. Uh, let's go to verse 11 to 12. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Alright, we need to unpack this here. We need to unpack this. So he clarifies. The seed is the word of God. Farmers, person who sows, plants the seed. So raise your hand if you're a farmer. Uh-oh, I don't understand. Do we need to go that? If you are a disciple of Christ in this room today, guess what? You're a farmer. I know, right? Woo! Gotta, gotta read our Bibles more. Who is a farmer? Raise your hand if you're a farmer. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm glad we clarified that. Maybe there's a reason why I'm speaking today. And what is the seed? The Word of God. What I've been reading to you this whole time. So he clarifies that. And then, but there's something here missing. Because he says, those along the path are the ones that hear, and then the devil comes away. But if you're thinking, now we're all thinking here, it's deep thought. How? It would be a natural question. How does the devil come and snatch away that seed? How does he come and take the gospel away? So if you're young, this is really important to hear. Because you guys are the biggest prey for this happening. I grew up as a kingdom kid, which is a, a unique term that our church uses for those who grew up in the, in the church. And they go to classes where they learn about God. And this is something that plagued me for years. Because I grew up hearing, 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 but never really understanding. It took me a long time to understand. Let's go to Matthew, and then he's going to explain this, and explain why the devil can do this, how the devil comes. Matthew 13. And remember, this is just a different gospel telling the same story. So I'm not moving scriptures out of context here. I'm just illuminating things that Luke did not mention. Okay? Matthew 13, verse 18 and 19. Let's read. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Very clear. The whole point, my whole point here. It's about understanding. The devil only can come and take away what you've learned, what you've grown up in, what you've tried to follow if you don't continually seek to understand. This is important, guys, because it sounds very simple, but it's extremely difficult. Because you get to a place where you make excuses. You get to a place where you get fearful. You get to a place where you feel insecure. And then it prevents you from wanting to understand. You have friends around you that do things that you're like, I don't, I question that. 
But rather than taking it a step further and trying to seek understanding, you just say, okay. In your mind, you don't do it outwardly. You just, it's like, fine. And you let those questions that you have slip away. There's a book I've been reading. It's called How to Read a Book. I know. Why would I need to do that? And it talks about verbalism, which is a basically a fancy term that talks about the concentration of form of expression rather than the content. Now, I'm saying this slowly because it took me a while to understand that. We can read books and learn things, but not understand what the author is trying to convey. You can do it all the time. The book called it, the book says this, the vice of verbalism is using words without regard for thoughts they should convey and without awareness of the experiences to which they should refer. Verbalism, verbalism is the besetting sin, besetting sin of those who fail to read analytically. So the book talks about how you get to a certain age and then you don't really care much about deepening your level of reading because you're adequate, right? And that's fair. As long as you can read out loud and you can, you can read for yourself and you're fine, right? No, there's more to reading that we often don't go to. And the book says, unless you have a master's degree or you've gone through that kind of training, typically speaking, you never get to a level where you're reading that's proportional to your age. Pretty scary, right? And obviously for the youth, this is a big deal. Because the youth, you start out on version 1, which is Windows XP. That came out in 2005. I used Mac. I had to research this because I forgot about Windows. But Windows XP was in 2005. Windows 10 came out in 2015. And I did a lesson a few weeks ago for the youth. And we asked about what version of God do you believe in? Because when you start out low, we all, we all remember our first version of God. He's mighty. He's bitty. He's great. Very simple and basic understanding. But I told the youth that if you're not constantly upgrading your version, you're going to be dealt with situations where you're fearful and, under, and you don't understand how it relates to your life. And you're going to go back to the version of God that you grew up with. And you're not going to be able to fight and tackle and battle appropriately. And it's amazing because it's something that we all can do. And it's very basic. Because your version of God could be the feel-good God, right? Like, I need to feel good, or I need to feel God for me to, for me to believe that He's here. And it's like, that's pretty outdated, Right? I don't wake up saying, I'm in England every day. <laughs> it's true. I've had that feeling before. But it doesn't mean it's a reality. I don't wake up thinking that I'm this ethnicity or this race. I just wake up and I am who I am. And I go up by the day. And We've got to really evaluate what version we're thinking through here. What version of God do you have right now? Seriously, where are you at? Is it still from Kingdom Kids or when you were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Or have you elevated it proportionally every year? Let's close out here. So, Luke 8, 
Matthew 13 explains how this first soil, how this first soil, how this first soil along the path, how we can lose our relationship with God if we don't understand. Now, the Apostle Paul, as you turn to Romans 7, we're going to close out here. The Apostle Paul experiences this. He goes through this process. It happens to him where he raised, he was raised in a Jewish background for years. And he had understanding like no other. But he still did not get to know Jesus until very late in life. Let's go to Romans 7. Read from verse 9 to 10. It says, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Now hold on a second. What does this mean? What are you trying to say? Some people believe that he was trying to say that at first glance, he was living his life, and then someone told him the commandments, someone told him the gospel, and then his life became poor. It became bad after that. But that's not true. Remember, I just said he grew up in a Jewish background. So there is no day in his life that he could have consciously not understood the Ten Commandments. It's just not possible. And this scripture in context, he's wrestling with coveting, which is a good sin to study out when you have time. But basically, it's wanting anything more than God. So he's saying this because he says, once I was alive apart from the law. It doesn't mean that he never learned the law. It just means that he never understood the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And this is where I think... I'm sorry if I cannot communicate it to you guys today, and you you need more Bible study. But if you have the seed planted in your heart, and it soaks in, it soaks in, it soaks in, there's a death that will occur, occur. There's a death that will occur. And it's uncomfortable. Psychologists say the most uncomfortable things in this world is when a loved one dies and when you get a divorce. So he's saying that once I understood for the first time, I experienced death. I thought I was going to experience life, but I experienced death. And this death led to a complete and radical transformation of one of the most influential apostles, ministers in the Bible. But he had to go through the death first. And that's something many people are uncomfortable with. That's something people don't understand. In closing, God's word, the law, are you alive today apart from God's law? Or is God's word a part of you? Is it so dug deeply in your heart that there's no bird that can come out and take it away? Or have you given up planting and watering? Have you become shallow? Is the seed about to pop up? Is the plant withering? Where are you at today? 
Church, this isn't a joke. This parable explains exactly what's going to happen and how exactly how people are going to respond. And Jesus says this because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to have the devil come and destroy your life. So I ask you again, do you understand? Do you? If not, don't stop trying. YDS, teens, don't stop trying. It's going to be uncomfortable and frustrating. You're going to get mad at your parents for them doing stuff. But don't stop trying to understand Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. So here's some action steps that we can do this week. Things that can help. Do you understand the gospel? Do you desire to? Why or why not? Always a good question to ask. Not just if you're a first-time disciple, but just for the rest of your life. Continually ask this question. Once you evaluate it, it really helps in response. And read 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 8 to 15. And then this week, let's talk to three people about the passage above. Decide is one thing you will do. (laughs) Decide if one thing you will do to respond to it. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Thanks, Ashley. Decide one thing to do and respond to it. Okay, do we have that? Alright, let's see here. Okay, so in closing, hearing is not understanding. Thank you for hearing me speak. Those disciples, keep you are farmers. Remember to go out and farm. For those visiting with us today, remember, the seeds have been scattered. God wants you to remember that you have a chance to respond. Don't lose hope. Don't stop understanding. God loves you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, if we could all stand, please, for our closing song, please. Do something.